Omega Man Radio has been commissioned to invade deep into enemy territory, drive out the hosts of hell, and take back the land. Our mission is to preach Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is the only name written under heaven by which men might be saved, cast out demons, and pray for the sick that they may be healed in Jesus' name. If this program is a blessing to you and you would like to take part in this harvest of souls, join with us and attack the hosts of hell by donating any amount online at www.omegamanradio.com. You may also donate by sending check or money order to 9030 West Sahara Avenue, Suite 665, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89117. We thank you. Are you ready? Ready to take a ride? Grab your coffee and strap yourself in. Because the show is about to begin. From the front lines of America, Babylon. And transmitting worldwide on the internet and satellite. You are listening to Omega Man Radio Network. With Shannon Davis. I'm really excited about tonight, folks. We've got two special guests. They're both published authors. Wow. You all have written books and published them. I was thinking about that before bringing you on. I said, man, let me get the book titles here for our guest. And um, I, I was just thinking about the work that goes into writing a book. That's not an easy task at all. And I um, just want to congratulate both of you for what you've done. And uh, we're excited to have here tonight. George Carnell, he's author of a book called From Queer to Christ, and we have Vicki Joy Anderson, who's author of a book called They Only Come Out at Night, and um, they both do uh, broadcast around the world and interviews, and um, I'm just excited to have both of you all here tonight. Welcome aboard. Thanks, Thanks. Shannon. I'm looking forward to it. And um, George told me he would help me out tonight. And uh, and you know, Vicky, you can help me out too. I thought maybe y'all could both interview each other. We could talk about anything you want. Where would you like to go Sounds tonight? Sounds great. Well, I tell you what. I tell you where we can go first. We'll start off in prayer. George, you want to do the honor? You want to open us in prayer? 
Okay. Oh, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for allowing us to come together tonight, Lord. I thank you so much for this ability via the internet to even reach a, a wide audience. I thank you so much for Shannon's ministry and the work that he's doing and for giving us a platform uh, to share what we have on our hearts, Lord. I pray that the Holy Spirit will just guide, lead, and move during the conversation this evening. And I pray that those who are listening tonight and even in the future, that their hearts will just be touched by the message, Lord, and hopefully those who are lost will come to know Jesus as their Savior and at least just give you a chance if they are finding that everything else they've tried in life isn't working. And uh, we give you all the honor and the glory and the praise, Father God, and we thank you so much for what Jesus did on the cross for us, and thank you for the power, the comfort uh, of the Holy Spirit, and, and we pray and ask all of this in Jesus' precious name. That will be done, Lord. Amen. I say amen to that. Again, welcome aboard, everybody. Hey, George, I'm going to flip the microphone over to you, my friend. It's yours. Okay, Shannon. Well, I was thinking about asking Vicky a couple of questions tonight, and feel free to jump in if you have anything you want to add. So don't think I'm taking over your show, okay? <laughs> I like to sit back sometimes and, and relax, so the mic is yours. <laughs> okay. Well, I, for those who don't know, Vicky and I met a couple of years ago at a function where we were speaking in Maine, and uh, she begged me to be her friend, and I said, fine. <laughs> Um, and she has ever since then clung to me like saran wrap. So it was the here best we are day of your life. <laughs> yes. Well, here's a short bio on Vicky. She she graduated from the University of Northwestern in St. Paul, Minnesota, majoring in Bible and English with a writing emphasis. And after many years in corporate manage, management, Vicky Joy stepped out in faith to become a full time author and speaker in 2019. Vicki Joy writes for RealDarkNews.com and L.A. Marzulli's Politics, Prophecy, and the Supernatural, as well as writing on apologetics, poetry, and fringe topics. Vicki Joy's latest book, They Only Come Out at Night, Exposing the Dark Weapon of Sleep Paralysis, is available on LAMarzulli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. And Vicki Joy can be found at VickiJoyAnderson.com. That's Vicki with an I or as VJA author on TikTok or Vicki Joy author on Instagram. And while we're at it, if you're interested in Shannon's ministry and his website, it's Omega Man Radio, O-M-E-G-A Man Radio.com. And my website is George Carneal, C-A-R-N as in Nancy, E-A-L.com. If anyone is interested in uh, finding out more about our ministries. So, Vicki, let's get into your uh, books. But the first book that you wrote, or one of the other books that you wrote, was The Emperor's New Gender. Correct. Can you give yes. us an overview of what that book is about and why you decided to write it? Yeah, absolutely. It's a tiny little book. It's a little 50-page. I kind of call it a glorified pamphlet, uh, really. And even though it is written about the LGBTQ agenda in America, it's really aimed at the church. If you go back to Hans Christian Andersen's original tale, The Emperor's New Clothes, it wasn't an indictment on naked emperors. It was an indictment on the crowd that everybody was seeing this madness going on in front of them. And no one was going to say like, our our royal authoritarian who we are supposed to respect and and revere is is making a fool out of himself and no one is is standing to to defend him and so i i found it to be just kind of 
too good to pass up. It was too good of a tale uh, to not retell for our our modern um, audience that we now have a emperor that's not naked, but we have an emperor that has uh, changed his gender. And the church is kind of sitting around baffled, frightened, silenced, paralyzed. You know, they're afraid to say anything. They don't want to offend. They don't want to hurt feelings. They don't want the tithers to all go away. And so we're all kind of playing this game of um, a hot potato where it, it's, we're just throwing this hot potato. Like you, you, you be the one to stand up. No, you say something, you say something. No, the, there'll be a ministry that will do this. Well, our pastor should do this. And no one quite wants to be, is be the one stuck holding that hot potato. And so I thought, well, uh, I'll put a target on my back, I guess. So I, I wrote this book and it is not a criticism of people who struggle with same sex attraction. It is a criticism, if anything, that the church had better stand up and take the culture back. We are a Christian nation and it's being pulled from, from, well, it used to be getting pulled from our iron white knuckle grip, but we've loosened that grip. And uh, I, I feel like we have to get that white knuckle grip back on it and take our culture back for Jesus. Would you agree that the sad part of all of this is that over the last few decades, because the pastors have become so lukewarm and they have not uh, they have not maintained the boldness to speak the truth of God's word that when you and I or Shannon or anyone else comes out and dares to boldly speak the truth of God's word all of it the good parts even the bad parts do you think that that's why it's so shocking to a lot of the so-called Christians sitting in churches yeah, this is a tough one because I, I'm guilty of it too, George. I'm I'm guilty of criticizing the church and all that they're doing wrong and all that they should be doing and holding every pastor in America to this standard where they should be like the Apostle Paul and Peter and be willing to go to their death for, for their beliefs. And that would be ideal. And we certainly have fallen a long way since since Acts. And one of the prayers that I pray often is that God would raise up 10 million Phillips in our country and we would regain this ability to raise the dead and heal the sick and cast out demons, literally, not poetically, literally do that. But unfortunately, too, if, if we really evaluate it, George, and this is the sad part, and I'm a part of this, too, because I'm a part of the church, and that is that a lot of us aren't departing from Babylon because a lot of us are content to be there. We we are out there, you know, we've all got our Netflix and we're going to the movies every Friday and we're laughing at the same decrepit jokes and we're fixing our eyes on the same, you know, soft porn images in these movies that are coming in through our living room. And, you know, if if we don't have the courage in our own living rooms to say enough of this, this is grieving the heart of God, I don't want any part of this, we are certainly not going to have the fortitude or the courage or even the desire to do it in the public square. Exactly. I think that was a part of, like my dad and I, before he passed away, we would often sit in the evening and watch television. And I was so tired of not only the programming that they give you on feminism and weakening men and the, the blasphemous stuff that they would see, say against our Lord and Savior, but the constant F-bombs and saying God's name in vain all of the time and just the filth, the pornography um, or the soft porn, even um, – some of the demonic shows which really highlight Satanism and glorify it. Mm -hmm. And um, 
it's just sickening and it just really turned my stomach. That's why I really don't watch television anymore. Um, I think for me, the reason why I get so angry and I don't really mean to come down on the church, but this woke culture and especially Christians who embrace it, it's different for me because I'm someone who came out of that lifestyle mm-hmm. and I know what I went through in that life. And I know how much damage it did to me. And I've seen the casualties of what so many gays, lesbians, and transgender in- individuals have gone through in that life. The hell that I went through trying to get out of that life and being deprogrammed of the lies that you are constantly fed by the liberal theologians, by the media, Hollywood, and the LGBT activists, that when I finally got my head on straight, when I see Christians affirming this and affirming those individuals, it infuriates me because I know the life that awaits them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you come from that standpoint as well or what you feel about that, but it's very personal to me. And I don't like seeing these people groomed to believe that it is okay because God's word is clear that it is an abomination, but God loves them. But I know that once they go into that life, what they are being fed is not the truth. It is not the reality. The sad part is, is they are are going to have a, a very difficult time in that life and they're not going to find any peace. And it is fraught with so many addictions and broken people a lot of temptations, and it, it only leads to destruction, not only here in the earthly realm, but possibly their soul and where they spend eternity if they don't know Christ. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, if anyone's interested in a full treatise on how I feel about this, if you go to realdarknews.com and search Chipotle, I have written an open letter to Chipotle, and my my tactic in, in that open letter was this. They were having a drag queen lunch where they were raising tens of thousands of dollars for these various LGBTQ supporting organizations and charities. And so drag queens were coming in during the lunch hour and telling, uh, dressed up in funny costumes, chipotlified looks is the way they said it. And they were going to be telling jokes and whoever had the best stand-up routine would win tens of thousands of dollars. And I was so offended by this, George, because I grew up, I I didn't grow up with the same sex attraction. What I grew up with was I was born with a a birth defect. So I had a deformed face from birth. I was having surgeries from 10 days old all the way to 15 or 16. I was getting teased. And so I often in my own life made this correlation between the way I was treated and the circus freaks of the old days where people just felt like they could come up to me in a grocery store and bother me and treat me like I was some sort of uh, something to just be looked at for their pleasure or their entertainment. And so what I was saying in this open letter is when you quote unquote support or love someone with same sex attraction or someone in the LGBTQ community, because you think that's a loving thing to do, what you're doing is you are increasing the probability of their never getting released from that bondage. And most people, if you have a heart-to-heart real talk with someone who's in this community, the ones that are willing to share the, the brunt of what's in the deepest core of their heart, they will tell you about abuse. They will tell you about drug addiction. They will tell you about shame. They will tell you about never feeling loved in their home of origin. They have stories 
that the average person, you couldn't live through one week of that trauma without breaking. These are extremely strong, resilient survivor type people. And a lot of them, especially when they're young, they put on a persona that they're having a blast because they're trying to convince themselves. But if you really want to love someone who has gone through extreme trauma and is dealing with deep brokenness, helping them and applauding them to continue in the, 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 the things that they're doing to escape, you know, you're basically helping them to create a further fantasy world and a further ability of escapism. And, and the root issues are never getting addressed. And, you know, we talk a lot in the LGBTQ community and the trans community about suicide. And it's very easy to say it's because they're not accepted and it's because, you know, this and that. But if you really get down to the root of why any human being gets to a point where they're willing to take their own life, it's, a, it's because they've gotten to a place of utter hopelessness because every single thing that they've tried in life has failed to help them. And this is where the gospel comes in. It doesn't matter if you're same-sex attracted or not. Uh, hopelessness is the only result. It's the only place the road leads. And the only solution to that level of hopelessness is to, to put your hope in God and the hope that comes through Jesus Christ. Well stated. And the sad part is, is that so many so-called Christians who don't really have the heart of Christ, who are very mean-spirited in their tone and just have such a hard-hearted, hateful stance against homosexuals. Yes, hate the agenda, but love these individuals. But yeah. so many of them give the impression that God hates you. He wants nothing to do with you. He created AIDS to kill you. <laughs> You're going to hell. And it mm -hmm. steals that person's hope. And I wish Christians would understand that a lot of those LGBT individuals come from Christian homes. And so many of them have parents and siblings and other relatives who are sincerely praying for them, who yeah. are so broken and, and brokenhearted over their children being in that bondage of that lifestyle. And I hear from the letters and emails from people all over the world, and especially pastors and Christian parents, just heartbreaking stories, including the LGBT individuals who so desperately want out of that bondage, but they don't see a way out. And what burns me up is that the media will not highlight stories like mine and so many others to give a different narrative. They only celebrate those who come out and say, I'm a gay Christian, or you celebrate being a homosexual or a trans person. It's just really sad. And like you say, the, the suicide rate and the depression that comes with it is so high. I want Christians to understand that supporting someone going into that life is the most hateful thing you could do. But telling them, look, there is another way and sharing with them the gospel. And if they can also get the right kind of counseling to help with those root core issues, in addition with the power of the work of the Holy Spirit in their life and what Jesus has done for them and showing them, yes, what God says about homosexuality is an abomination, but look at how much God loves you. He formed you in the womb. He is invested in you. And look at what Jesus did on the cross for you. Give these individuals hope. God loves them and Jesus died for them. Do you have yeah, anything and, you would like to add to that? Yeah, absolutely. I really want to speak into the idea of this spirit of rejection. 
And uh, I want to I want to talk a little bit about what you just said about when when Christians are mean spirited and we make all sorts of assumptions as to how a person got to that place in life. And we we start throwing out all the insults and and the name calling what you're in essence doing is uh, perpetuating the very root of the problem that's already there. And that is, it's a spirit of rejection that they are dealing with. And so when you as a Christian, which is perhaps the only people on planet earth who should be trained to love the sinners, uh, when you also reject them, you are creating that hopelessness that I was just talking about. Because when you go to the one person that shouldn't reject you in all the world, which is Jesus Christ, and all of his followers are saying, you're disgusting. You're a sinner. God hates you. He created AIDS to kill you, all that. What what you then buy into is Satan's lie. You buy into the ultimate lie. I am absolutely hopeless. No one will love me. Even Jesus thinks I'm dirty and gross. And as a little aside, I just want to say, because it, it's fascinating to me, I, I was reading a book this weekend by the late Henry Wright, and that's Wright with a W. And he wrote all sorts of books on the, the spiritual links between our physical ailments and our diseases. And he was talking specifically about autoimmune disease. And he, so he was talking about RA and, you know, leaky gut and, you know, you name it, Crohn's, Graves, all, all this stuff. And he, he led a successful ministry for decades, and his wife is still perpetuating that now. I think they're out of Georgia. But the point is they determined that the spiritual link to autoimmune disease is a spirit of rejection and self-hatred. Because what self-hatred and rejection is, is basically if you tell yourself, I hate myself, the body is mimicking what your spirit is trumpeting. Your body is then saying, well, then if you're going to hate yourself, then I am too. Because autoimmune disease, what it really is, is it's parts of our body. It's systems in our body, our endocrine system, our immune system. It's parts of our body not recognizing other parts of the body and thus then attacking them. And so then these other parts of our body, like our thyroid, et cetera, get eaten up. And I'm tying that in. This isn't something that Henry Wright said, but I'm tying this into something that the Lord showed me recently. Uh, the body of Christ, we see, we see that metaphor in the New Testament that we're all part of the body. And some of us are an arm, some are a leg, some are an ear, and we have to all work in cooperation with one another. And I realized, George, that the Christian church is now completely rife with an autoimmune disease. We are attacking each other. We, you know, we always think of ourselves in that verse like, oh, I'm an ear or I, I'm an arm because I do this ministry. Well, I, I'm a heart because I do hospitality ministry. How many people have thought of themselves in that analogy as I'm the immune system of this, this church body? And when I attack other people, I judge them, I criticize them, I'm jealous of them, I'm, I'm cutting them down, I'm actually attacking parts of the body and the whole body is going to get sick. And so, a lot of this comes down to a spirit of rejection and it is a disease that is going to manifest in the church, it's going to manifest spiritually, it is going to manifest physically in our own bodies. So, when another broken, rejected person 
gets within your purview, God has led that person to you because you know the gospel, you had better pray hard and be slow to speak. And you better only speak what the Holy Spirit wants you to say because you hold life and death in your words for that person. Absolutely. And I wanted to say, Vicki, that was part of my issue as a child. You know, when I'm being rejected by my male peers, not having a close relationship with my father and hearing such of the negative remarks that I would hear from so-called Christians, it almost was as if, I guess, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, yeah, you're a fag. So, And it's almost like, oh, well, then I'm a fag, so let me go into the lifestyle. And not having hope. I just remember as a kid, I was so, under so much stress when you talk about the autoimmune part of things. Mm. Today, if I, on occasion, I will get a rare, um, is it a canker sore when it's on the inside of the mouth? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I usually get one when I'm under a lot of stress and they're very rare that I get them. But as a kid, I had them not only frequently, but one time I had 13 in my mouth and I was probably five or six mm-hmm. years old. That was the level of stress that I was under trying to deal with this monster in my head and going to school, dealing with the rejection and being bullied and beaten up and threatened and not sure if my father loved me and just dealing with the whole religious aspect. And I remember at one point, I just felt, okay, God, since you hate me for being a fag, I hate you and I'm going to reject you. Mm -hmm. And sadly, that's why I went on just a whole different path. And it's just sad. I wish sometimes, Vicki, and I know you've been through the same rejection and you've had um, your own issues because of the facial deformity. You know what it's like to be an outcast and so badly want to fit in, Mm -hmm. to be loved and to be seen for who you are. But people don't, they don't see you for who you are. They just judge the physical. Oh, you know, they'll say whatever they want to say about your deformity or just say, oh, you're a fag or you're a sissy, you're a queer, a queer bait. And you just, you know, when you hear that constantly, no, no wonder so many people are not only broken and just beaten down, but they're so depressed and suicidal. And I don't know about you, but I know for me, the way of coping was through drugs, alcohol, and sex, because to medicate, even with having sex with a man, it was a temporary moment of getting outside of my head and not dealing with that torment. So it's just like the, a young lady who may spend time in the bar sleeping with a lot of men. You know, people will be quick to judge and say, oh, she's a whore. But we really don't know what is driving the behavior. And if people could step back and look at the people who just seem like life has just kicked them in the teeth and you just think the worst of them Perhaps if you got to know them and simply asked them, tell me your story, because I I recently heard a testimony of a Christian couple who met a woman who had hardly no teeth. She looked really um, rough and ragged around the edges, but the Lord told them to take her into their home and love on her. Turns out she was being used in satanic rituals, and she was groomed to be the bride of Satan. And when they talk about just some of the horrific things that she had gone through and what they did to her, uh, my heart just broke. But how wonderful that God was so merciful for even this woman who was broken and who had been abused since she was a small child. So that's one of the things that I love about Jesus. And one of the things I would say to anyone who's listening, 
who feels like a piece of garbage, who wants to kill yourself. You see no hope in life. If you would just take the time to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, what I love about Jesus is that his ministry was geared toward the broken, the sick, and the demonized. He really had a heart for the, the lost and the outcast and, um, and railed against the religious uh, Pharisees and the, the hypocrisy. So I guess my point to those who have tried everything else what do you have to lose by giving Jesus a chance? And read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just really study the life of Jesus and his words and how much he really cares for us. Your mm-hmm. thoughts, Vic? Yeah. So I just have a, a message right now for men, and especially young men, and I'm talking about even boys as young as elementary school and things. We can get our messages from Babylon, or we can get our messages from the Bible. And the message from Babylon is that... Uh, uh, an overwhelming desire to have sex with a woman is what is the definition of manhood. That's what makes you male. That's what makes you a man. And the Bible has a lot more to say about that. There's nothing wrong with desiring a woman sexually. You know, there'd be no marriage and children in the life. The world wouldn't go around. But you have to have so much more than a drive for sex to be a man. And there are things in the Bible that are descriptions of manhood that Babylon would scoff at and say, no, that's for sissies. But a real man has has sensitivities, and he, he has the ability to see uh, women and children and things who are weak, and he has a desire to, to rise up and defend them. You can't rise up and defend people unless you have a heart of compassion People don't just get on the battlefield with a sword and start indiscriminately murdering people because they love bloodshed. There, there is a, a deep-seated desire to please the Lord and to love what he loves. And the New Testament is full of scriptures admonishing people to take care of the weak, like the widows and the orphans and the disabled. And so a real man isn't someone who simply just wants to have sex with a woman it's someone who has such a heart of selfless compassion that he is going to rise up and risk his own life to defend those that are weaker than him. So when you see a kid in school who's tender and you know everybody else is out with the magnifying glass burning the ants and he's saying, don't do that, that's hurting them. He's not a sissy. He has the heart of God. He has the heart of a real man. We've got to get our definitions of masculinity and femininity from the scriptures. Or we're going to get ourselves into a mess like we are currently in. Exactly. And I think one of the things that infuriates me is Hollywood always seems to put down femininity. You know, masculinity is celebrated in women. And they want the men to, uh, they talk about their toxic masculinity. And they're trying to turn the men into sissies and the women into men. And everything is so upside down. Men don't know how to act anymore. Women don't know how to act anymore when God's word is clear about the order of things. Um, Would you agree with that or do you have something you would like to add to that? No, I absolutely agree with that. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is, you know, God himself, he, he has every attribute that men and women have. And so um, even God himself, God himself, I mean, you couldn't find a better example of someone who's confident in who he is, right? He has feminine 
qualities. And, you know, even the way that they have feminized um, Jesus, George, the, the, the stereotype that we have of, of Jesus who came to earth in the first century, they have turned him into a hippie. They have turned him into this, you know, guy with a man bun and sandals. And, oh, and he was just so old, you know. And the fact is, you guys, l- listen, this is why a lot of people aren't going to recognize Jesus when he returns to earth. He came the first time as a high priest and as a shepherd. He's coming the second time as a warrior to take his kingdom. So if you're expecting man bun Jesus to show up again, you missed out. You, you need a time machine. You, know, you need to go back to the first century. When Jesus comes back again, he is going to be offensive to the woke crowd because he's going to be on a war horse. He's going to have a, a robe dipped in blood. He's going to have a sword lifted high in the air. He is going to start a war. He is going to be a warrior. He's going to be as masculine as masculine can be. And so we have to understand gender, not only for ourselves and our children and our grandchildren and for the sec- sake of morality and purity. If we don't understand biblical masculinity and femininity, we are not even going to recognize our own Messiah when he comes back because he's going to be packaged as a warrior the second time around, not the, the simpering little guy who, who walked around in the fields and just talked nice, nicey-nice to everybody. Let me ask you this, Vic. You know, society often pushes the father-daughter-mother-son relationship. I am under the belief that we really need to be pushing the father-son relationship and the mother-daughter. And the reason why is I think a lot of of the reason why so many young men and women go into the homosexual lifestyle is because I think the lack of that bonding with the same-sex parent could be an issue. I know it was for me, and I know it to be the the case for so many others, to where that lack of same-sex bonding has led to a need of going into that lifestyle and trying to fill that void. What would you say about that? Yeah, so my personal experience was was actually the the opposite, because what happened for me, and I'm going somewhere with this, so don't worry, but... In my house, my I had a dad who traveled for a living. He was gone sometimes three weeks out of a month, and he was very driven and very much a workaholic, and we did not see much of him. And I was codependent to my mom to the day she died. I mean, we were best friends, and I had far more of a relationship with my mother than with my dad, which is odd, George, because if you set me side by side, with my mom and my dad, I'm so much like my dad. It's not even funny. Like I inherited far more of his character qualities. So it, they rubbed off on me genetically. It, it wasn't for, from being around him a lot, but we had to work very intentionally uh, on a relationship as, as adults. And so what I think, because my, my situation is the opposite of yours, but what I think is we need to really focus on the fact that bonding with both of your parents is absolutely integral because yes, I, I learned how to be, you know, I learned all this stuff from my mom and I'm glad I I learned it. But when it really came to the survival skills and what I needed to make it through this world and not be deceived and not be tricked and not be naive and to hold down a job, I, I learned more of my survival skills from my dad. And, and what's interesting, George, is 
I don't know if you'd come to me as a teenager and said, does your dad love you? I probably would have said, well, he provides financially for me, but I don't think he likes me very much. That probably would have been my answer. And that is not the case today. But let me tell you, it's never too late. I want to talk uh, to parents out there who are in your 50s, 60s, and 70s, and your kids are gone, and you blew it, and you don't get along. I want to just give you hope. My dad and I started working on my relationship, uh, our relationship, when I was in my mid-30s to early 40s. And it was one of those situations where I didn't think we would ever like spending time together or get along or be be similar to one another or have anything in common. Uh, by the grace of God, my dad has not only become my best friend in the entire world, but I think I'm even closer to him in the last 15 years than I was with 40 years of, of being with my mother and hanging out with her and shopping and doing all the girl stuff. And so I just want to encourage dads out there it is never too late to reconnect with, with your child. God can do miraculous things. And let me tell you something, dads of daughters, let me tell you something. And this plays into what we were talking about with rejection. When I was a kid, everywhere I went, the message I got from all of the boys, because I was in school, the message I got from all the boys was, you're ugly, you're unattractive, no one will ever seek you out. No one's going to marry you. That was the message I was getting from all the boys, the icky vicky stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And the one thing I will tell you is if, if a daughter knows that her father thinks she's beautiful and attractive and wanted, it doesn't matter what 10,000 attractive boys think about her. There is a power in the relationship you've been given with your daughters. And in the last five, six years or so, since my dad and I have been hanging out together a lot, and he's made up for a lot of lost time, we spend time together. And, you know, he always had this tough love thing, like, I'm not going to pay your way because you have to learn how to survive. You know, we there was a time and a place <laughs> for that, right? And now it's like, we'll go places and they're like, oh, let me get that for you, honey. And, and, uh, and he's always working on my car and doing all this stuff. I have never felt so loved or so attractive or so beautiful as I have in the last few years since my dad has stepped up and treated me that way. So dads, you have a super power. If you pay attention to your daughter and you reinforce in her the, the beauty of femininity and you, if, if your daughter knows that you love her and that you think she's beautiful and that you are there for her to take care of her and protect her and help her when she's in trouble, you have no idea how much trouble she will avoid in her teen and young adult years because she's not going to go looking somewhere else to have that hole filled. Exactly. And to add to that, to also give hope to these parents, um, there was a four-year period where I had cut my father off, didn't even mm -hmm. speak with him. I mm. was so angry with him. But by the grace of God, it was in the 40s when God reconnected us. And it happened to be on a night when I was getting ready to attempt suicide again. And my dad oh. called out of the blue, having not spoken with him in four years. But I was so desperate at that point in my life for something to hang on to. I, I'm really grateful that God had my father call. And it was the beginning of us reconnecting. And then when I left LA and moved to where he was and stayed with him for the six and a half years before he passed, 
you know, people who knew our relationship and how contentious it could be, they were just kind of marveled at how close we were. And my dad and I had such a great relationship. So I'm completely on board with what you're saying, Vicki. God is so good. I feel like what the enemy stole from me as a kid with regard to my father, uh, God just miraculously uh, filled that void and allowed us to have some time together. And that's why now that my dad is gone, I have wonderful memories. There are no regrets. I was able to honor him until the end. And you're right. The, the power and the bonding of the father is so important, which should make people stop and ask yourself, why is it that the government is so hell bent on destroying the nuclear family and removing the fathers from the home? And we wonder why we have so many issues with, with juvenile delinquents and, and the problems that we have in the public school systems and just society in general. Fathers are important. And I would just say to, um, to the numerous women out there who understand the poison of feminism and understand that men are valuable and needed, um, I hope we can undo some of this damage. But I would say to those macho men who may not know how to deal with a very sensitive son, it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be a homosexual. But if you don't give him the love and the affirmation that he needs, he may very well go into the gay lifestyle looking for men who are waiting to give him what he wants, even though they're not coming from a place of love. It's just basically to use that person for sex. And I could have avoided a lot of problems if I'd really had that kind of relationship with my father to offset the rejection and the abuse I was going through with my male peers. Oh, man, you said a mouthful there, George. I mean, it's so true. I like what you said about um, fathers, just because you're son is exhibiting characteristics of tender heartedness that mm-hmm. that's a quality that jesus had there's nothing sissy about being tender hearted towards things that are weak or or things that are sad and um i think that those sorts of things should be applauded and put into a biblical framework and so if if your sons come home and says like they're calling me a sissy or whatever you you set him aside one night and you read about all the verses in scripture where Jesus showed compassion on on the weak and how that that is a, a godly characteristic and it's a fruit of the spirit to be gentle. Gentleness is a fruit of the spirit. Are, are there fruits of the spirit that are meant for women and fruits of the spirit that are meant for men? <laughs> or, yeah. or is gentleness and kindness also fruits of the Holy Spirit that manifest in men. Look, at if, if the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God himself is gentle and kind, then those are attributes to be had and to be, to be nurtured. Exactly. And to those fathers who may have artistic or more sensitive sons, how many of you are fans of classical music? rock music. And a lot of those individuals are very heterosexual, but they were also very sensitive and very artistic. You never know what God is going to do in that person's life and how they will use that child. But when it comes to that need for love and affirmation, I'm I'm, I'm begging men to get over the macho crap. And at least for the first seven years of your son's life, hug that child. And of course, the daughters too, as Vicki was saying earlier. But it's important to Embrace your son for who he is and to pour that love into him and make him feel affirmed. 
So hopefully he won't go seek that in the homosexual lifestyle. And the same mm-hmm. for the daughters who won't then move into a bar and try to find what they are missing from the father, looking for it in other men, which, as we all know, it only leads to destruction for that young boy and that young girl when they look to the exterior world to fill a void that can't be filled except through Jesus Christ. But that love and affection from a parent is so important, both the father and the mother. Yeah, amen. I think another thing, too, and, you know, take it with a grain of salt because you're talking to someone who never had kids, but I was a kid myself once, so I'm talking from that perspective. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with having point-blank, honest, mature conversations with your kids about same-sex attraction, about pornography, about masturbation. We're allowed, look, they're going to hear it at school. They're going to hear it from their friends. They're going to hear it from their teachers. They're going to have it in curriculum now. Everybody else is going to talk to your kids about this stuff. So it's time that we get over the the 1950s kind of, you know, thing where, oh, we can't talk about this stuff. It's embarrassing. It's taboo. Everybody else is talking to your kids about this. Television, they're getting it everywhere else. And what I would just suggest is instead of doing the classic Christian church homosexual talk, like it's a sin, you'll burn in hell, like all that stuff. Why don't you dig deeper into why it is a sin? Why is it an affront to God? And what does that where what does the scripture say about why this particular sin is grievous to God? And focus on that. Go go to verses that talk about how they were fearfully and wonderfully made. Talk about um, if your kid has a like, I wish I was a girl, I wish I was a boy. Where is that desire coming from? Uh, who are their idols? Who are their heroes? Do you know who your kids admire most and look up to? Do you know the interviews? Like, are they are they absorbing hours and hours of Lady Gaga interviews every week? And and do you know the kind of things these pop stars are saying? And just get involved. Roll up your sleeves. Be willing to have the the embarrassing conversations. Be willing to ask your kids point blank what their struggles are. And then use it as an opportunity to study the scriptures. Don't just knee-jerk to this, it's a sin you'll burn in hell. It's a sin you'll burn in hell. Because the fact of the matter is, the will of the flesh is stronger than our desire to avoid hell. Because millions of people every day that, well, this is the exchange. And so, you have to give your kids a better reason than this ethereal way out there someday you know, a thousand years from now, when you wake up on judgment day, this will be the consequence. Kids don't think that way. They don't have the full frontal lobe fully formed yet. They don't know how to think of long-term consequences that are attached to their actions. Telling them that if they do this, they're going to burn in hell is not an effective way to approach a 9, 10, 12, 17, 18, 24-year-old. It's not effective. You have to show them in the scriptures the lineage of how that sin came to being and the destruction that it wreaks and what it's going to do to their heart and what it's going to do to their life and et cetera, et cetera. You, you need the Holy Spirit to guide you. But I'm, I'm telling you, um, my, my dad told me and my brother 10 million times when we were in high school that if we listened to heavy metal music, we'd go to hell in a handbasket and we laughed at him because it was funny. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was going to say, Vic, communication is key, and I wish the parents would understand that. You know, my parents have said to me many times after reading my book, why didn't you come and talk to us? 
Mm. How do you go to a parent and say that I'm being called a queer and a faggot and a sissy? Because then I knew that was going to open up the door for them to ask me, well, are you? And I didn't know Mm. what their response would be. And that fear of rejection after already feeling rejected by Christians and especially my male peers was just something I could not deal with. And I dealt with it alone. And that's why I wish parents would sit down and, and like you say, talk to the children and let them know that no under, under no circumstances am I going to be upset or angry. I'm not going to yell at you. I'm not going to think any less of you. I love you so much. But I want you to know you always have a place to come and talk to me. And if anyone is bullying you or calling you names, you can come and talk to me and we will handle it. And whatever it is that they are saying, it doesn't change my love for you. And oh, how that could have just possibly changed the course and the direction of my own life. And I will tell you what you were talking about when it comes to sitting down and discussing the word. When I and my two brothers were probably around six, seven, eight years of age, one Sunday after serving the Lord's Supper, my brothers and I went up to the table afterward, and we just started eating the bread and drinking the grape juice, (laughs) anything a kid would do. But when we got home, my father, he really wore our rear ends out. Oh, wow. And all I knew was, okay, we did something bad, but he never bothered to explain to me. Had he sat down and just said, this is what the Lord's Supper represents. And this is how grievous it is to have gone and, and to have done what you did. Perhaps if he had taken the time to just simply explain it from a biblical standpoint, maybe I would have understood the gravity of what I had done. But to just get a whip and be told, don't do that again, it made no sense to me. And I really resented him for that. And clearly, I can still remember it to this day. So I think it is important to understand and explain God's word and why when our children are doing something that is wrong, that we explain why, other than just saying, well, the Bible says homosexuality is an abomination. Well, why don't you explain further into detail why it's an abomination? What is it about that act that grieves God and angers God? And perhaps give a perspective that would help that person to say, oh, wow, you know, if this upsets God, because the key turning point for me was, if this grieves God and it hurts his feelings, and I'm sensitive enough to know that I don't want to hurt God's feelings, then I don't want to do it. So when I had a whole different perspective on how to look at this, God utterly finds it offensive. And so I've chosen to refrain from doing it. So I, I think you're right, Vicki. If people would take the time to sit down because so many of us are biblically ignorant or don't understand a lot more of the, the details, how wonderful it would be if people would just lovingly point us to scripture and explain it. And then it would make sense. And then perhaps that would really plant a seed and change that person's life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think another thing too, I'm thinking about how the the conundrum you were in as a kid where if I go to my parents, this is going to happen. And then this, and the, the whole chain reaction. And you know, the enemy, man, does he know how to corner us and get us into isolation because uh, I did the same thing, George. I didn't come home and tell my parents that I was getting bullied because I was embarrassed. I didn't want them to know. You know, yeah. my dad was always saying every time I had a surgery, he was always, you know, boasting about how strong and brave I was because I never cried. And I didn't want to break that perception that my dad had of me. I didn't want to come home crying from school and have him 
renege on all of these other accolades he had. I was like striving for his his attention and his affection. And he was so proud of the fact that I was not scared in the hospital. And so I wasn't going to undo that and come home from school crying because someone called me icky vicky. And so I was going to be tough. You know, I was going to handle this on my own. And the enemy just loves to get us backed into those corners where we feel like there's no empathy to be had out there. But one thing that I'm thinking, you know, we've entered into this whole new generation now of, of gender identity issues and whatnot. And I think it's important for parents to understand. And I think this might be an easier conversation to have is there is a difference between your child thinking that they're gay and your child struggling with a same sex attraction. And there are a lot of people out there that struggle with the same sex attraction and you'd never know it because they never declared themselves homosexual and they don't live that lifestyle. They might be married with children. It might be something that no one ever knows about them. There are a lot of people that come out of homosexuality and they become Christians and they struggle with the same sex attraction the rest of their life. It's the root of it. And so if you can talk to your kids early on about the root of it before it turns into something that they've acted upon or that they've taken on as a persona or as an identity, we really have to treat these things differently because whether someone ever declares themselves or considers themselves a homosexual or not, ultimately doesn't matter as much as is this person struggling on a daily basis with same-sex attraction? Uh, that's really what we have to get to the root of, because Jesus didn't die to help us halfway. And so if there's anyone out there who has got this struggle and they've never shared it with anyone and you're married and nobody would ever guess, if that's something that's tormenting you, if that's something that you know is, is creating in you shame and and secrecy we're we're going back down then to this this autoimmune disease stuff if if we are harboring tons of emotions that are undealt with in our minds and in our hearts you know whether it's shame or guilt or we feel like we're hypocrites cuz we're we're on the elder board but then we go home and we look at gay porn the enemy is he's backing you into a corner and he's saying there's no way out the only way out is if you confess to an elder board and then get shamed in front of the whole church and lose your job. Like that's the only scenario he ever paints for you. But the fact of the matter is Christ didn't die to help you halfway. And there are ways to, to deal with same sex attraction and there's ways to get victory through it without having to have your whole entire life dismantled and destroyed. Don't listen to the enemy. He, he wants you kept in that corner with the door locked, with no one to call out to. He wants you in that hopeless state. And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Exactly. And for those who feel they may be LGBT, but they really just feel more of the pressure to join into a community because you're looking for a place and a sense of belonging, but it's not really you, that's okay. Remember, God loved the outcast. Go to him. Don't go to the LGBT community. Don't go to others. If you're you know, trying to find a place to belong, believe me, no one is your biggest ally like Jesus Christ. And, and what God did um, in terms of the plan of salvation and what Jesus did on the cross for us. But the key, like, as Vicki was saying, and in my own life, 
It's the shame that will keep you in that bondage and despair. And you're always afraid to speak. But once you find people who will listen and help you get the help that you are looking for, you're going to find freedom. And that freedom can always be found in Jesus Christ. Amen. I, I now, don't know that I, I can add to that. Now, Shannon, I don't know how we are on time. So I've got I'll, up I'll to another hour to you. in my back pocket. Take all the time you, you like. I have up to another hour reserved for you, as much as y'all have available. Well, um, I tell you what, I'm enjoying this discussion tonight. If you're just joining us, we're here with George Cornel, George Carneal, and Vicky Joy Anderson. Uh, I want y'all to take a break just for a second, and uh, I want each of you to give out your contact information. Tell people how they can reach your ministries and they can order your books. George, okay. Um, my website is George Carneal, C-A-R-N as in Nancy, E-A-L. My book is From Queer to Christ, and you'll see links to every place you can find the book. There's also an email address if you are struggling with this issue or if you are a parent who has a child in that life and you're just at a loss as to how to help them or if you're a pastor who wants this issue addressed or you yourself have children in the life because I know pastors can't really talk about this because of the gossip pens in the church. Feel free to uh, go to my website. You'll see an email address and reach out to me, and um, I'm happy to help where I can or come speak at a church and just sound the alarm. And Vicki? Awesome. Yep. Well, George uh, listed kind of all my stuff at the at the front of the show, vickijoyanderson.com. You can get all my info. And uh, for this particular topic, I've got a couple of books. We've got The Emperor's New Gender, which we talked about at the top of the show. I also wrote a 31-day prayer walk devotional called Transforming Prayer. This is for people, uh, parents, grandparents, people that have a loved one who has come out as homosexual and it was very shocking. You never saw this coming. You don't quite know what to do. Those first key moments are critical. You, you have to handle it correctly kind of up front. And so this devotional is kind of an encouragement. It's uh, I'm able to kind of walk through you, uh, through that with you for the first month. And there's verses in there. There's questions at the end, and there's a place to journal. And um, it's really to encourage people who are dealing with this in their households. And you can also go to Agape First Ministries. Uh, just Google Agape First Ministries. They're out of Minneapolis. I work full-time with this ministry. And we reach out to people who have same-sex attraction issues and struggles. We uh, offer support and counseling for free for either the person suffering or parents who need support because their children are now um, estranged from them. There's resources on there. There's a staff there. And um, we're, we're there. There's blogs. There's all sorts of resources there. So if you go to Agape First Ministries, we will be able to direct you probably to maybe uh, some more robust things that you can do if you're struggling with this. Now, Vicki, you wrote a second book called They Only Come Out at Night. Um, Correct. I'm going to give it back to George. George, you want to speak about that also? And um, Yes, if, if Vicki's up for it, I'd love I may. to go a second hour. I have questions for her. She's, she's kind of boring, but I'm going to pull that personality out of her. <laughs> the spirit of rejection has been triggered. <laughs> because I want to say that here's my theory. My theory is the reason we're in such a mess 
has been because of the lack of deliverance ministry in the church. Whether it be yes. divorce, fornication, pornography, homosexuality, now there's sexual confusion. I mean, I look at this man, his name is Richard Levine. I had to really dig deep to even find his name because everywhere you look, he's listed as Rachel Levine or Levine. Four-star admiral in our government. A very intelligent man. Went to Harvard. Oh, my goodness. Look at the guy's credentials. Of course, he would be offended if I say man because he, he had a sex change. I think full gender conversion in 2011. I would just read up on him. And what's shocking to me is when I first saw this man, he was hired uh, by the Biden administration and put up there. I saw this man with long gray hair and glasses, and I just I, I had to do a double take. What's going on here, I'm thinking? And then there was a recent picture George and Vicky released. He was at a... Um, like a uh, military ball or something and because he is an admiral four star I mean that's a general in the navy I mean four star I mean that's one more star or five star as far as you go uh, he's dressed from the waist up in a military uniform looks like a man and then from the waist down he's got a dress on with hose and women's slippers and you'll see him with lipstick on and uh before he had long hair, now he's got to think short hair. And his escort for that night was something uh, that looked like right out of the movie Splice. If you've ever seen Splice, oh, where wow. they had this fallen angel mate with a man yeah. turned into yeah. a hybrid. I thought for a minute I was looking at that. It was this person, it was a man, it was androgynous, shaved head, dress, lipstick. And uh, I don't know if he was identified as a man or a woman. I was confused. I'm getting so confused out there, and I don't Mom. I don't even know how to wrap my head around it. Uh, the yeah. media is trying to get us to accept that people can just be whatever they want to be, and you can change your sex willy nilly. If you want to be a man and you're a woman, you can do that, or vice versa. Um, mm. and everybody's about you know changing the pronouns. I would be terrified to put my children in American school right now if they have already moved in that direction. You know, they've gotten rid of the normal pronouns. I mean, I just wanted to say tonight, I, I thought if I got to identify something, I just might identify as an organically grown avocado. And I want to say right now for people around the world, I'm tired of you taking my brothers in arms, my fellow avocados, smashing them up in avocado dip. This must stop right now. I mean, <laughs> oh no, not the guacamole, Shannon. I told someone well, that they thought really know, I was serious. It, I mean, I mean, it's nuts. Well, how do you make sense of this, guys? Yeah, what's going on here? You because know, a man I, saying I, I that was, he's married to uh, a man, and he's the wife, and she's the husband, and the sexes don't even match. I'm totally confused here, and it's just getting worse by the day. Back to you. Yeah, so I, you know, I was on a show the other day, and and I was saying we we've entered into this uh, transhuman uh, phase now. It's very real. It's it's not declassified. It, they you just Google singularity or transhumanism. It's it's definitely the way that they're going. And we're now in a season in our culture where 
you are not allowed to call a girl a she, but when you talk about Siri, you say she. So we're allowed to refer to our electronics that have female voices as she and her, like our GPS system or our Siri or our Alexi or whatever all these things are. But God forbid you call an actual woman a she. So we're giving more identity to our technology than we are to the humans. It's a shifting of uh, the the singularity um, culture taking over the human culture. It, it's a sign of what is 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 coming. I've even heard reports in the last week or two that you are now no longer allowed to use the word pedophile, that you must absolutely use minor attractive persons. Yes. So it's really a 1984 scenario that's going on now. And um, I just encourage people to stand up against it. I'm not going to play the games. I'm not going to affirm their delusion. Why should we deny our reality to just fit into everyone's craziness? How can you keep up with it? You're, you're bound to slip up at some point and call the person the wrong gender or the wrong name. I just, when I encounter those people, I just call them, hey, that way it's, it's gender neutral. Yeah. This, <laughs> and, uh, this is our, our Shadrach, Meshach. Abednego moment. You know, we all hear these, we all hear the Bible stories when we're little kids and we're like, whoa, that's so cool. And we just think David and Goliath is, David is awesome and Joseph is awesome. And we just, we, we just root these Bible characters on. And we think in our naivety as children, like someday when I get faced with this, I'm going to do this. And this is our Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego moment, church. Do not fail the test. There is a 60-foot-tall statue in the middle of town square. It's it's a transgender statue. It's a critical race theory statue. It, it's a feminist statue. And we're being told every time they play their little fifes and flutes that we're supposed to, oh, I bow down. Oh, I agree. I agree. No, we're going to stand up for it. We're not going to put up with it. We're going to defend the truths of the word of God and if we get thrown into a lion's den or into a furnace, if we perish, we perish. This is the moment. Women out there, this is your Esther moment. If we perish, we perish. I love when Shadrach said, oh, great king of Babylon, uh, our God is able to protect us from that fiery furnace. But if he doesn't, we will not bow. Absolutely. My question, um, if I could have a discussion with, um, or if I could ask uh, Rachel Levine, born Richard, is what happened in your life that caused him to now say that he's a woman? I mean, this is confusion. Was he raped? Was uh, he rejected? Was there a spirit that came into the bloodline? Was it uh, veering off from the from the truth and getting into um, deception and it was a slippery slope down into his state of confusion right now um, I'm trying to answer these questions and I think that uh, at the root of it all are demon spirits and I look at my own family George and Vicky I was raised mm-hmm. in the church my earliest recollections are being even in a church parsonage of my grandfather at age two earliest memory I have and Hmm. uh, at one point in time both my grandfathers pastored 
and one grandfather just passed away this year the other one died early prematurely but I thank God I was raised in a Christian church um, a church of the 70s like you came out of George you of course can identify well your father was a Baptist minister from your biography I read and um, yes yet our family was dysfunctional and um, on my dad's side the Davis side we had divorce in the family went down five generations there was adultery I found out that a great grandfather was involved in Freemasonry which brought a generational curse on the bloodline God told me he said you and your brother Damon have a generational curse need to break when I cried out to the Lord in 2005 suffering from depression mood swings heaviness and Mm. um, I was thinking about turning to psychotropic drugs figuring I had some kind of uh, chemical imbalance little did I know I had demons and I had a generational curse and uh, there was whoremongering you know going into prostitutes and you know that's just the stuff I've uncovered so far and um, it resulted in the premature death my great grandfather died uh, 52 turning to 53 same age I am right now he died at the same age I am now that's why I know if I live through this year I broke the generational curse and then my uh, (laughs) my grandfather would die at 58 my dad would Hmm. die at 57 and then in 2005 I cried out in the Lord I said God what's wrong with me and he told me to dream and then the next day my brother called me and said I got this book by Derek Prince called The Blessing and the Curse you need to choose and God was speaking to him and then uh, to get into our, the next conversation, my third, my brother in Jacksonville, Florida, my half brother named Ryan, he was on his bed, George and Vicky, in his condominium, and a demon jumped on him, and he said it was a black shape, and he tried to scream. He was frozen, but he managed to say Jesus a couple times, and finally the thing let go, and he said it ran out of his condo and slammed the door behind it. He was so traumatized. He went wow. to a workshop on breaking curses. So God was dealing with us all. Mm. We were all suffering, and it was because of <clears throat> sins of the fathers. And, uh, you know, the way devil works is what he'll get our ancestors to do, he'll try to get us to replicate and keep that curse just keep going on down the tree, you know. Um, mm. Get us to fall into the same traps as our parents did. And I look back at it all, and I realize there's no deliverance. Grown up in the church, they didn't do deliverance. They had altar calls, George. You know, they read the King James Bible. Yeah. Um, they uh, they had the prayer. Uh, I mean, the um, the altars where you can come up and kneel down and pray. They loved the Lord. They did pray. They spoke in tongues in the Church of God. They did. And um, but I never saw any deliverance. And I grew up in the church, and there was. Um, sex going on among the teenagers myself involved and there was uh, church splits and all the sins that you know are common in the secular world I saw in the church Um, and uh, my point is is uh, there was no deliverance to be found about 2010 it dawned on me that's the missing piece because Mm -hmm. I bet you if there's a demonic root in all these things and we're not doing deliverance no wonder we don't see much change in the church. And then look at some of the big televangelists. I won't mention their name. But they've fallen into you know, big sin, went into prostitution, pornography, homosexuality, divorce, adultery. 
We've got some of them even going on Dr. Phil for counseling. Uh, after they were embarrassed, you know, that the secretary was trying to um, get them to give her a payout to keep her mouth shut because of the sins mm-hmm. that the director of that network had been doing for, you know, six years or so. This shouldn't be. And I think the reason it is is because of no deliverance in the church. Uh, what's y'all's thoughts on that? And then maybe let that segue, George, into uh, we talk about this book she's got called They Only Come Out at Night. What do y'all think? Back to you. Yeah. Well, um, maybe, oh, go, go ahead, ahead, George. No, go ahead, Vicki. Okay. I just want to throw James 5.16 in there to undergird what Shannon just said. Therefore, confess your sins to one another one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed the prayer of the righteous person when it is brought about can accomplish much by way of deliverance i've seen a lot in the last 20 30 years where if someone wants freedom from a malady a disease or some sort of stress or a job situation a financial situation they want healing we go to church and we give someone a very generic explanation of what we need help with and Maybe they'll lay hands on you as a, as a bonus, or maybe they'll take out some oil and put it on your forehead as a bonus, not mocking those things, but they're, they're missing the two key components in the biblical formula for healing. You're confessing your sins to one another, and then you're praying for one another. And this whole, like, I'll pray for you. I'm praying for you. Are you? Are you? Are you turning your phone off for three seconds a day and actually closing your eyes and saying, Father in heaven, please be with Vicki. She brought this struggle before me. Please be with, are you really doing that? Because if we're not praying for each other and we're not confessing our sins to one another, we're not going to be delivered. Absolutely. And what I wanted to add about that spiritual warfare side of things and why I wish pastors had talked more about it. Um, you know, I worked for an agency in L.A. with a lot of therapists, and a lot of the kids that were being shuffled in and out of the agency had a lot of issues, and, and some of them were really kind of crazy. And the therapists really weren't Christian because it was something you couldn't talk about. And I got to thinking about how many of these kids are dealing with issues that are demonic And here these counselors are trying to deal with something in the physical realm that really needs to be addressed in the spiritual realm first. So for me, I think the importance of pastors studying and discussing discussing spiritual warfare is to empower Christians to know that if there are things going on in the spiritual realm that we can't address that before the throne of God, especially if a child is having behavioral issues all of a sudden. And a friend of mine recently found out that her daughter was going over to a friend's house and unbeknownst to her, she started having behavioral issues. Turns out they were playing with a Ouija board. So now she's opened up this doorway and they're having to deal with this. But had she not found that out, she may have just been taking her child to a therapist and trying to put her on uh, drugs to deal with her behavioral issues when really the child could be healed if they addressed it from a spiritual standpoint and close those demonic doorways. Would that be something you guys agree with, or am I off here? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You can open doors. Absolutely, that opens doors. I I mean, I always tell people in, you know, with this whole book that I wrote on sleep paralysis, you invite something or you conjure something, they're not going to say no. They're they're waiting. The, The demon world is waiting for permission to to 
take control of your life and your spirit and your mind and your will and your emotions. So if you go out looking for it, they're not going to say, nah, I've got too much on the docket already. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned that, George, because uh, let me inject something I just saw a few hours ago. Um, Have you all seen this news footage of this Halloween party held in South Korea? And there there was like 10,000 people that got into a a small space and next thing you know there was such a press that people were falling under the feet dying and people couldn't breathe mm-hmm. I think the body count may be up to 200 now people squeezed oh to goodness. death and they were just no. carting off bodies under blankets and body bags have you seen that George yes I did see some footage of, of that but I didn't know the death toll was that high That's oh sad. yeah it was like 168 or something, and I bet it's it's gone up. Um, big Halloween party. People over there at one of the, the wickedest times of the year, uh, worshiping Satan, whether you went there for that purpose or not. Most people just go there to party and uh, dress up as whatever costume you want. And they got in there, and the squeeze began to happen. And then people mm-hmm. couldn't breathe, and they would faint and get going to the feet people just died it was like that concert uh earlier in the year with that dude who's married to one of the kardashian girls or it's her her boyfriend uh he's a uh, he's a hip-hop artist kanye no travis scott travis Travis scott Scott, maybe that's him do you remember okay the news they had this big concert down in south texas yep i i remember yes and there's footage of it the squeeze and all of a sudden, the crowd yep. begins to move in one direction, and you caught, you can't even move. You're just carried away with the, the wave of people. And then the squeeze happens, and it would squeeze the breath right out of your lungs, and you just have a heart attack and die right there. Mm. So many people you know, just died. They went right into hell. Uh, many of them. I mean, what are you going to say? Lord, I'm sorry for being over here at Travis Scott concert. I mean, some of the most wicked, you know, lifestyles that they promote. There was one guy. He was raised in the church, though. And as he was about ready to pass out, he cried out and said, Jesus, don't let me die. And the Lord saved him. And he, he gives his testimony. He says, I was almost dead. Whoa. And I knew where I was going. And he said, I cried out and asked Jesus to help me. And he did. He saved him. But the girlfriend and her mm-hmm. friends that were with them, they all got killed that night at that Travis Gosh. Scott concert with a backdrop of this big yeah. uh, portal into hell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Uh, this is so satanic. Uh, I made a decision. I'm killing Halloween. My kids will never experience it. And I know growing yeah. up, we just went out there for the candy, of course. You know, we, we were having fun, but when I realized what it represents, and what we're doing we're fellowshipping with demons and we're worshipping Sawin the yep. demon god the yep. fallen angel whatever it is behind the Halloween that would literally sacrifice people there's people being sacrificed right now yep. this is true right now this and week that- tortured sexually abused and then they eat them in some cases back to you Yep. So I just want to, I want to just back you up there, Shannon. Um, 
I, I want to just say something. Everyone has to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling and decide what they want to do for their family. But if I can just put this out there for you to prayerfully consider, we as the church, we as the people of God, we can redeem things that are redeemable. We can redeem things that were stolen from us. We can redeem things that were once a religious or a Christian or a biblical thing, and we can take it back like the rainbow we do not redeem things that never belonged to us. Halloween goes all the way back to Samhain 2,000 years ago in the Celtic regions. It was the Druids. It was in, uh, Ireland, the UK, and Northern France. And through centuries and centuries of morphing with Roman festivals first, back in like 43 AD, um, like Pomona uh, was one of the Roman festivals that, and Pomona, her symbol is the apple, which is where we get these bobbing for apples. And then uh, in like the seventh or eighth century, it turned, the Roman Catholics turned it into All Martyrs Day. And then a century later, it turned into All Saints Day. And then a century later, it turned into All Souls Day. The fact is, this, this festival never belonged to us. It had its origins in the occult. It has its origins in Druidism. And we're trying to redeem it with our trunk or treats and all this stuff. We are not called as a body of believers to redeem satanic things and turn them Christian. Now, if Samhain had been something that originally was a festival where we worship the Lord, yeah, let's take it back. But there are certain festivals that are have always had its root in paganism and we are not called as a church to redeem pagan festivals for our own. We have our own festivals. There's seven of them in scripture that everybody ignores now, except for the Jews. We, we have festivals in scripture that are even going to be celebrated in the millennium. And so I, I just think, you know, I'm not telling everybody what to do with Christmas and Easter, and I'm not telling you to go and start celebrating Passover Work it out with fear and trembling with you and, and your family. But just understand, we were never called to redeem pagan festivals. You know, George, you mentioned recently you've decided um, you just can't watch TV anymore. It's just so defiling. And I'm with yeah. you on that. Me too. About six months ago, I was sitting down watching some movies. And a lot of people are watching horror movies uh, right now because of Halloween and opening up big doors to demonic spirits. Even they've got this new Hocus Pocus 2, I think, that's come out. A lot of people said, oh, I want to go see that. So you want to go watch witches that are looking for children to eat them. Okay. But I was uh, I was sitting down, I was watching some movies, and I heard Matrix 4 was coming out. And I, I've loved movies my whole life. Uh, two things I remember about my dad, and we didn't spend much time together either, George was uh, he liked movies and liked guns. So he gave me a BB rifle when I was five and took me out to the movies about the same time. And I've seen thousands of movies. But most of them, uh, 99% of them have defiled me. And uh, you, what you're seeing on screen, those spirits can come into you, whether it be you know, murder, violence, sexual fornication, any of these spirits can come in through the, the eye gate, I believe. And uh, I was watching Matrix. I saw Matrix 1 and 2. And then I'm sitting there, and they they go into a sex scene. And uh, I'm sitting there watching it. I'm, you know, I'm watching adultery taking place. And then they had this one guy in there. He 
grabs some of the characters and while they're in the matrix and begins to kill them. Uh, he was a murderer working on the inside and he's killing several people and he's saying GD, GD multiple times and I just sat there and listened to them profane the title of, of Yahovah. They just kept saying GD, GD. And mm -hmm. I didn't change the channel. And then I went from there and I watched another movie. I, I went and did Old School. I think it was an old Steve McQueen movie uh, about he was a, um, a pool shark or a card shark, I forget which one. And it had a uh, Aunt Margaret, which I had a crush on growing up. I always thought she was sexy. And um, <laughs> they're in there and there's themes of adultery, uh, cheating, fornication, gambling, grift, all this stuff. And when I was done watching those movies, I prayed that God would heal my family because everybody was sick. Mm. And then it dawned on me, God's not hearing my prayers. What's wrong with this situation? I'm sitting here opening the door as head of this household to all this sin coming through the, the TV. And then I want God to answer my prayers. Would I have watched those movies if Jesus Christ was sitting next to me? Of course not. Mm. The Lord convicted mm. me so much that basically I had uh, come into agreement with the very sins I, I saw and witnessed on the screen that I literally had to repent. And it was uh, literally a deliverance because uh, I would never give up movies, I thought. I had seen so many. And that was like the thing I loved the most. But after that, I realized if I continued like that, uh, I was going to be in some serious trouble because uh, I was I was guilty. And I repented and, and the Lord delivered me and I said, I will not go back and watch any movies again if you heal my family, God. And um, Yes, Shannon. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. It was the hardest thing ever, George, to give up. And recently, you know, I still watch YouTube and I watch documentary films and nonfiction. But those are so filthy, too. And I've made a standing rule. If I'm watching anything and I hear them say GD one time, I immediately turn the channel. Because if I don't, I've come into agreement uh, with those demons that are coming through the tube and I'm defiling myself and how can I expect God to do anything for me? I'm in willful sin. Doesn't it say if you look at a woman and lust after her, you've already committed adultery in your heart? That's what we do. Mm -hmm. How can Christians sit there and watch this stuff and not turn the channel and you say, well, it's just a movie. Were well, you kidding me, folks? <laughs> um, how do we do this? How do we practice Halloween when we know what it is and we think we can look the other way or we can Christianize it. You know, come on out. Let's have a fall festival. Come over dressed as Moses. No, come on. It's time to kill this stuff. <laughs> and uh, I grew up doing it, but I got to the point that I realized, my goodness, I'm just defiling myself over and over again. And there comes a time where I got to make a decision to stop. And so God's helping me in that area. But um, I haven't seen any of the movies that I would have watched. I missed Top Gun. I missed Matrix 4, missed Elvis. I would have loved to have seen that one. And I would have loved to have seen the James Bond. When I say I haven't seen them, I'm telling you the truth. God delivered me of movies because I would have seen them all, especially those. And I want to tell you, I'm the better for it. George, back to you, brother. No, I was just going to say how embarrassing it was to be sitting there with my elderly father, who's a Baptist minister, and on the big screen as we're watching these television shows. 
eventually you'd see a gay or lesbian couple start making out or a woman who was half naked and again using god's name in, in vain every under every breath and i just told my father i said i can't sit here and listen to this filth i just can't do it we started to watch old westerns now they didn't have enough action for him and i'm certainly not a western type of guy <laughs> but, but for the sake of bonding with my father bonanza you would just say fine yeah, yeah mm. get a get find you a hokey show to watch but you know shannon i this is why i haven't been to the movie theater probably in well over a decade but wow. i wish christians would stop supporting hollywood on every front stop going to concerts stop going to the movies stop watching the television shows stop polluting your mind with that filth i don't know how they can justify doing it but then yet complain about what's going on in our society. Hollywood is so quick to point out how, you know, uh, or the liberals, we need to uh, disarm ourselves, all this gun violence, but they never hold Hollywood responsible for the violence that they promote in the films. Or the politicians and the Hollywood celebrities who have armed security detail to protect them, but they want us unarmed where we can't protect ourselves. Or they'll scream about the green earth and climate change but yet they're taking their private jets everywhere they're such two-faced hypocrites and yet they are always preaching to us what we need to do but they won't follow those same rules things will not change until the american public turns off the news media the mainstream media they're a bunch of liars yes. and and stop supporting hollywood and we really got to just unplug what happens what would happen if if parents said you know what when the kids come home you take those electronics and you put them in a drawer we're going to sit down and we're actually going to have dinner we're going to take our time to eat and we're going to talk about your day we're going to find out what you're going through what you've been taught in school we want to see the curriculum the material and get invested in their children's lives and start investing in them again imagine how things could turn around but more so if christians hearing this could feel some type of tug from the holy spirit and remorse for us participating in it and we truly go before god and say god i was wrong and i am sorry i feel convicted about this and this is not happening anymore if we could see that kind of attitude amongst christians across this nation we might be able to turn this sinking ship around but if if christians are unwilling to repent I don't see how we can have a revival in this country, and then who are we to go out here and try to witness to a lost world when we've allowed society to dictate what the church should be doing and what they should be believing instead of pastors having the boldness to say, no, we're going to tell you what is moral and right and just and according to God's word, and we're going to follow God, not the system, the beast system. Amen. Amen. And I, I just want to add, I 100% agreement with both you guys, and we don't own a TV or go to movies either. And um, what one thing that we have to realize as Christians is that Hollywood, these movies, uh, they have agendas in them. That that is theology. We're listening to sermons when we go to those to those movies, especially blatantly all of these DC and Marvel comic stories. These are the demigods of old, everybody. These are the, the, the titans and the demigods that the Greeks talked about. These, if you want to put it in biblical terms, it's the watchers and the Nephilim. It's these half God, half angel, half human things with superpowers. And they've come to, 
interact with mankind. This is the theology of the watchers. That's what those movies are. And that's why we see people who don't just like those movies. They worship these things. Their whole wardrobe has these things on them. They have their little statues and their figurines. They go to Comic-Con. They spend thousands of dollars dressing up like them. This is worship. This isn't just someone liking a movie. These things are demigods, and they are gleaning worship. And every time you go to these movies, you are getting indoctrinated into their theology. This is not entertainment, guys. This is a global takeover of our image of God. Absolutely. You know, mm -hmm. the news and the TV is programming people to, to yeah. accept um, their agenda. And, you know, there was recently a uh, female basketball star, star, I don't know if she was college or professional, was over in Russia, and the story I heard was uh, she was caught flying into Russia with some type of uh, vape, and uh, it was illegal for her to have that, not in the States, but there. So they've arrested her, and she's still in jail over there. And... Uh, she made a statement that um, she just wanted to get back home to her wife. And I did a double take. Mm. And I said, did I make a mistake here? Is this a man? Sometimes you can't tell. Some people look androgynous. But it was a woman mm -hmm. who thought she was a man. And the person she's married to back home was the wife. And I don't know if that's a male or woman back there. Everything is being flipped. All the gender this is confusion. I know God's not the author of confusion. And again, there's a big summit right now, and uh, maybe at one of the school systems, and they're trying to weigh in on um, uh, giving permission for these children to go ahead and have sex changes. God have mercy. Everything's went topsy-turvy. And I know the, the root of it all is sin. And where there is sin, there will be demons. And when we open doors to sin, we will get demons in exchange. They will come in. So um, I'm not saying everything is a demon, but I believe that uh, you're going to have to deal with them. And we've got to cast them out. And when we've got a church that wants to turn its back on one-third of Jesus Christ's ministry, no wonder we have the problems that we have. A lot of people fell into sin. Of course, they need to repent. But then they're going to need some deliverance ministry. Uh, I think everybody needs deliverance ministry. Um, if we're being harassed, tormented, and driven to do things that we don't want to do, whether it be from drugs and alcohol to sexual sin to you know, other sins that are committed out there, uh, I believe there's a demon or more that have gotten in because it says uh, give no place to the devil. But when we do through sin, devil will come in. He'll bring his friends. And it's a slippery slope. You know, um, I look at some of the serial killers out there, and it's interesting. Some of them have received Christ and uh, died in prison afterwards, and some are still alive like the son of Sam. But they have similar testimonies. They open up a door many times to the occult or through sexual sin, and it fed the other, and the next thing you know, they're feeding on people, whether they were uh, serial killers or they were like Jeffrey Dahmer, they were eating people I mean that's uh, that's demonic and how are we going to fight this St. George and Vicky when the church doesn't even want to know anything about deliverance or even talk about it or 
they take the pompous position, oh, well, Christian can't have a demon. Don't you know a demon right. can't get to the blood? Are you kidding me? We can have anything <laughs> we open the door to. Um, but, George, was that your experience, too? Did you see any deliverance going on in the Baptist church? Because I didn't see it in the Church of God. No, and this is a question I really wanted to pose to you and Vicky because a lot of people may not know this, and I kind of had to learn this the hard way, but is it not true that when you have sex outside of marriage, heterosexual or homosexual, isn't there the possibility of transference of demons in bodily fluids? Vicki, you first. Because if... Because I wanted to say, as you know, a lot of people do commit these sexual sins who even call themselves Christians. And I know for me, God only knows how demonized I probably was with the hundreds of men that I slept with, including a Satanist in Hollywood that I slept with, not to mention drugs, alcohol, heavy metal music, and everything else, and tarot cards, and clairvoyance, and psychics, and everything else that I was involved with. Um, I know that even when I re-surrendered my life to Christ, years later, I had a man praying over me. And as he was praying, my head felt like it was in a tight grip, and I had this massive headache. And I swear, um, I don't want to say swear, but I'm telling you, I felt a demon manifest and leave through the top of my head. So I believe that even if you are a Christian, that you can still be demonized if you have come from a background where you have opened those doorways. I'm just curious as to your thoughts on that. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think sometimes we tend to think, or at least the world tends to think, that the laws and commands of God are just these arbitrary moral, like, rules he came up with, you know, like, you just posted outside the swimming pool, like, no running, no peeing in the pool, right? And uh, <laughs> I think that the if you really wanted to break down what does every single law and command of God have in common, what's the root similarity between everything, all these unrelated things like obey your parents and don't have sex outside of marriage, what relation does all of these rules have? I think it's that God fully understands the cosmic war that we are in, and he understands every single thing that we could possibly do in our fallen flesh that would open a door to demonic interference, whether it's oppression, demonization, full-on possession. And so he doesn't tell us because he doesn't have to tell us. But when whenever we do something, it's not just like, oh, I broke a law of God and I'm going to go and confess and everything's great. You've opened a door, whether you've disobeyed your parents, whether you've gossiped about your best friend, or whether you have committed a homosexual act, or you've watched porn, and no matter what it is, what you've done is you've opened a door, because what the message that you've sent to the spirit realm is, God told me not to do this, and I don't care. I want this more now than I want his protection over me. And they say, oh, you you just, you know... You just declined the protection of God's pinions. They were over you, and now you just got out from underneath them so that you could, you know, do this. It's like an all all points bulletin goes out in the spirit realm. Like she she's out out of the covering. She's on. She she ran out from under the covering, <laughs> and they pounce on you, man. And so, absolutely, I think that demonic actual demonic entities can be transferred, especially in sexual acts of sin. And it doesn't even have to be homosexual. It can be adultery. It can be fornication, uh, promiscuity, anything like that. It can. I think it can even happen in uh, masturbation and pornography because you're opening that door. Absolutely. I mean, you know, when people masturbate, 
uh, most people don't just do it uh, right off. They have to look at something or bring back, conjure up an image in their mind of something that they've seen or a person that they've seen that they've lusted after or some movie scene or they have to look at the porn. And think about it. You're committing adultery right there. Jesus said, if you look mm-hmm. after a woman and lust after her in your heart, you've committed adultery with her without even doing the act. Um, is that not the same? You're committing adultery when you bring these images up and you're thinking about them as you're masturbating. You're having sex with that actor or actress or that person, whoever they are. You don't have to be an actor or actress. And I believe you committed adultery and those demons come in. No question about it. Now, I was doing deliverance some years ago and a person called into a program and uh, turned out that uh, the demon manifested. I said, how'd you get in? I said, I came in mm-hmm. through French kissing. Uh, well, that mm-hmm. answer, stand the judgment. Yes, we cast that demon out in Jesus' name, but it had come in. They were just French kissing. Um, uh, I dealt with a man one time, um, and the demon had come in through having sex with his girlfriend, and it, it was a it was a Meniere's disease. Actually, it carried an infirmity on it. Till he repented of having committing you know sexual sin, that demon went coming up. Absolutely, though, the Word of God says when um, uh, two come together sexually, they become one flesh, and uh, there are soul ties that are built. Now you can have godly soul ties that are established and you know, no sex involved, but you can have ungodly soul ties, especially sexually soul ties that come in and uh, I just think out of it is there's a bridge between your spirit and theirs and anything they got can come over to you and vice versa. And you're connected in the spirit until you repent of that sin and break that soul tie. Um, are you all familiar with MLMs, multi-level marketing? Yes. Mm-hmm. I've been in a few of those over the years. And uh, basically some of them are like this. You got to go get two people and then they go out and get two and you get paid for the downline and uh, after a while, you know, you could have 100,000 people in your downline. Think about you have sex with somebody, even a one-night stand. Now you're one flesh with them. You're connected. You'll never see each other again. And then you go off and you're promiscuous and so are they. And you're still connected and you're reconnecting with others. So they, you could have a million people in your downline. And uh, they could have one demon or they could have a legion. And each time we have a sexual experience outside of marriage... Um, we lose a bit of our soul. And after a while, you can be like a walking Swiss cheese in the spirit. Mm-hmm. And you can't even love anymore, yeah. frigid, cold, you know. Um, and you wonder why, because yeah. so many bits of you are missing. It's very dangerous. Um, mm. I was raised in the church, and I became a Christian at a young age. And then when I was 18, I recommitted my life to the Lord. Uh, I went... In, in front of the church had an altar call and I embarrassed my grandparents but I never had felt I never made a public confession before men so I got them did in front of the church I was 18 and I was yeah. wrestling with some things and um, wasn't sure if I was saved or not and um, I went up and recommitted my life to the Lord but then some years down the road the devil came after me like he had come after my uh, father and my ancestors and tempted me and I set myself up for a major crash. I, I was married. I was unhappily married. I'd gotten married to my girlfriend, only girl I'd ever been with. And she'd gotten pregnant, so 
I, we got married, had the baby, but we were not compatible at all. It was just horrible. And um, mm-hmm. sadly, we tried to make it work, but it didn't work. And one day, I'm so miserable. Like the last year of our marriage, we argued all the time. Uh, one day, I just, I'd seen this movie. It was a movie with Salma Hayek and that dude from, uh, who's been having uh, drug problems, Matthew something. He just came out with a book from Friends. Anyway, this... Oh, Matthew Perry. Matthew yeah. Perry. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Matthew Perry meets this beautiful Mexican girl, Salma Hayek, and I said, man, I would that I had that. And I spoke out into the atmosphere one day, and I said, I just wish I had a woman like that that loved me. And I half hoped that the devil would hear me. Mm. I forgot about that. Six weeks later, the devil set me up, and I went on a business trip to San Diego, got there a day early, Taxi driver said, so uh, uh, you ever been to Tijuana? Next thing you know, I'm in the number one whorehouse in all of TJ called the Adelita Bar. I've been there for 100 years. And I walked in there, and it was like something out of uh, a movie. Lights were turned down dim, and I saw this girl look just like Salma Hayek. Next thing you know, I committed adultery. Oh, my goodness. I came back home that weekend. My world was totally upside down. I wanted to be with this girl, yet I was married, miserable. She's in Mexico. I'm in America, in Atlanta, all the way across the, the way. And then that night, I'm back in bed with my wife, and uh, that was the first time I'd ever been attacked by that thing that you write about, uh, a succubus demon. I literally mm-hmm. was paralyzed, and I was frightened out of my gourd, and I took every ounce of my being just to snap out of it and wake up I'd, I was afraid to go back to sleep and I knew that I had uh, something I had brought back with me well I didn't repent make a long story longer I went back ended up destroying my marriage married this girl took her out of the barn life moved her back to America and uh, she came back with her demon gods she had an amulet that was El Muerte which is what the prostitutes mm-hmm. all worship down there. They, in fact, I had went into the Adelita bar into the bathroom of this uh, this girl's of this room. You, you rent it by the hour, and um, walked into the bathroom. And on the back of this toilet was an altar to this demon, El Muerte. It looked like a grim reaper, red cloak with a big sickle skeleton face and there were candles in there there was a sacrifice of bread a chicken leg and some rice and I found out that's the patron saint of prostitutes drug dealers, the cartel thieves, they all pray to this Mm -hmm. demon and um, to stay on course uh, it almost destroyed me destroyed a marriage I had an abortion married this girl and it was like being married to a coral snake, something very beautiful to look at, but the bite is deadly. Mm. And uh, mm-hmm. we had a child, make a long story short, uh, marriage uh, totally disintegrated. There was a fight for my son's life. I lost. Love that boy, but I lost. And then in 2003, when I felt like I would lost everything, marriage is gone, son's gone, I got so angry. I threw my Bible out the window. I would repent of that, but I still couldn't deal with the grief and the depression. I went down to Costa Rica in 2003, and I had uh, invented an herbal product, so I was living on some nice royalties. I went down there, 
and I fell into sin. I bought a marble plaque that said the Davis Playboy Mansion. I stuck up it on the wall of this condo, and I went down to the bars in Costa Rica for a solid six months. I slept with 200 women in six-month period. I went wow. to the total dark side. A person that was raised in a church, both grandfathers were Church of God pastors. I knew better, but I had come from a broken home. My parents had set me down at age six and seven and said, who do you want to live with, me and your mom are going to divorce? And I dealt with rejection from the father, George. When you said four years, I said, man, that's how long I didn't talk to my father either. And I even changed my name. I was so uh, hurt. Mm. And uh, I was just trying to medicate uh, the rejection, the loneliness, the abandonment. And I did it with going to the bar and picking up these girls. And where I'm going with this story is I slept with this girl one time. Uh, When the thing was done, it was at a bar where you could buy a woman for seven dollars. There are other places oh, you boy. would spend three hundred to a thousand. I had a three hundred dollar a day uh, sex habit, <sighs> and uh, this girl says I'm a witch, and I didn't know it, but she also had a wooden leg. How I didn't realize that I don't know. <laughs> and on another occasion, I said to this girl, beautiful girl, next morning. Uh, I said, tell me more about yourself. She says, well, my husband's in jail. And I said, I'm sorry to hear that. And then she told me that she was uh, living with uh, another. She had another husband, but this husband was not a a man. It was a woman. I realized I just slept with a lesbian. I could have slept with somebody that had a legion of demons, and it could have just destroyed me, like Annalise, who died after having an encounter with a guy who had a legion. Famous story about her. Where am I going with this story? I went into the depths of sin and depravity. Mm. And it was only a praying grandmother that would call me and uh, I would be convicted of my sin and the fact that I knew if I died in those sins, because one thing we were taught for sure, George, is that heaven is real and so is hell. And I knew if I died in my sin, I would bust hell wide open. And for that reason, I never uh, drove myself uh, or took a took a motorcycle or a scooter. I always had a taxi. I was afraid if I got in a car crash, I'd go right to hell because I was headed to the bar. And mm-hmm. uh, I was not happy. I was totally empty inside. And I realized there was no future with these girls. And um, I went cold turkey one day for two weeks. And um, a guy comes in town and he says, hey, I want to take you out to eat. He was a friend of a friend. He said, let's go to the office. And I had no idea where he was going. He took me right back to the place I had been going every night, the Adelita Bar. Uh, Not the Adelita Bar. This was called the Del Rey in Costa Rica another time. And uh, I fell back into it. And I could continue with that story, but I got to the end of myself. And I realized I just couldn't live this lifestyle anymore. Number one, I couldn't afford the habit. Number two, I knew if I died, it would be it. Or I knew I could pick up a disease and die. And uh, praise God, I hadn't went beyond the point of no return I still had the Holy Spirit convicted me and one day I just repented of my sin I fell on the mercy of the Lord and God forgave me um, and it's been a you know it's it's been uh, a walk ever since uh, but I have to tell you I probably had a million people in my downline or 10 million every one of those ladies I slept with 
I was connected in the spirit. That means mm-hmm. they were connected to me and I was connected to them. If they had demons, I could get them. And if I had them, they could get them. And of course, I was carrying demons. You can't help but become mm-hmm. demonized when you're committing these sins. So yeah. that's one of the fastest ways to become demon demonized or demon-possessed. Even the occult know this. They know yeah. that um, through sex and through drugs, these are major gateways to become demonized and ultimately demon-possessed. And I think the height of demon-possessed is your butt naked running through the streets. You've lost your mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. literally, you see people that sometimes just lose it all. Total on demon-possessed. And uh, they're going to need a major deliverance. They're like that gathering demoniac, cutting himself, naked, mm-hmm. sleeping in the tombs, in torment. And then he had that appointment with Jesus. And Jesus mm-hmm. cast those demons out in the swine. It says the man was clothed in his right mind. I'm going to hear, I'm here to tell you that I wouldn't have gotten into that point if there had been deliverance growing up. Any telltale signs that there was something off, I should have been in there and gotten some deliverance. My father should have gotten deliverance. My grandfather's. It killed them all prematurely. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, if they knew Jesus when they died, well, they went into the meet President War, but if they didn't, it was over with. Sadly, I don't think my mm-hmm. grandfather made it. He became a master mason, and he was in good standing when he died. And you worship, uh, you worship a demon called a Hura Mazda in the lodge. Yeah, it's a Zoroastrianism. It's it's deadly to have any part of that. It brings a curse, and it was resulting in premature death. But these sins they continued down the family line that my great grandfather committed. He was a pastor, had committed adultery with his secretary defrocked and then came back but he was never the same then my grandfather committed adultery divorced he came back repented gave his life over to the Lord but died prematurely my father committed adultery divorce I committed adultery and divorce my daughter would do the same five generations of sin and there was no deliverance to be found had no idea how to break a soul tie how to break a generational curse I had no idea. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, I would be dead. Never have started this program. Because Mm -hmm. there was times we were going down looking for another bar to find women, me and my uh, buddy. And we came across uh, this car parked, and my friend all of a sudden yelled something to me in Spanish, Vamanos, correr, run. (laughs) And he told me, lady, said those two guys said something that uh, they said, Let's get them. They had a gun. They were getting ready to assault us. I could have been mm-hmm. shot right there, going into a bar, and ended up in hell. No excuse. So I'll share this testimony from time to time just to say that I went to the depths, man, of sexual mm-hmm. immorality, and every woman I picked up was like a trophy. It was like, who can I get next time? Can I get that? Uh, can I, I wonder if I can uh, get that uh, bartender there, get this one. It was just like... Uh, you know, uh, a trophy hunt. And um, I didn't feel any better. In fact, I was just getting more demonized each and every time. I wasn't finding any fulfillment of that. Just like with any sin, you know. Even drugs, you know, after a while, you don't get the buzz anymore, they say. And you have to take more and more. And then you find yep. yourself hooked. I was hooked. I had a sexual hook. And it almost killed me. I'll be honest with you. I could have died there. And you pay a high price for a lot of low living. Uh, No question about it. 
I had over a million people in my da sexual downline soul ties. And how do you get free? You have to confess that sin. You have to repent mm -hmm. and ask Jesus to forgive you. And then you have to break those soul ties in Jesus' name and command those demons to come out. Amen. I still need some deliverance Amen. in some areas. I'm not a 100% whole being yet. How can you be having been so traumatized? It's going to take some time. Yet that didn't mean that the Lord can't use me or anybody else. You know, I'm a work in progress, and I'm not ashamed to say that. But um, you can't counsel these things out. You have to cast them out. And Amen. it's not all just casting the demon out. Sometimes you've got to deal with the other issues. It goes hand in hand, dealing with the deep-pointed hurt and the rejection. You know, it's not, it's not a matter of saying, George, well, you know, let's just cast the demon out and I'll be whole. No, there's some other stuff that's got to be done there. Right. You know, to heal the yes. deep wounded hurts because you were hurt, rejected yes. by your father. Yeah. So was I. Vicki, you were hurt, as you yeah. mentioned, people that would mock you. And um, this stuff causes real deep wounds. But to think that we can extract, uh, we can just become whole without one-third of Jesus Christ's deliverance ministry, we're fooling ourselves. And uh, last point I want to make, I, I kind of grabbed the mic and ran with it, I apologize, and that is... Uh, I won't mention his name, but he had a big fall back in the 80s. He got up before the world and with his Bible and said, I've sinned. Yet it wasn't long after that he was back to the prostitutes in Louisiana. And you say, how is this possible? Well, Christians can have demons. He had the Holy Ghost. It's undeniable. He spoke in tongues. He was one of the greatest teachers, respected around the world. But he had a sin problem. And I was told that back in the 50s, it was well-known fact that he would travel around. And he had porno mags in his truck, and he was doing revivals. How is that possible? Well, just is. He wasn't 100% surrendered, and any area that's not can be an open door for demons. doesn't mean God doesn't use you or can't use you. But this guy needed deliverance, and sadly, the assemblies of God don't believe that Christians can have demons. At least they didn't. Maybe they've changed recently, but the guy needed deliverance. He was battling with things that he wasn't just going to be able to crucify the flesh and keep down. He still needed to cast those things out. What say ye? Back to you. I'd like to just say real quickly, um, I hope this is a reminder to Christians who are listening to this, that if you think you can flirt with sin and that you're going to get away with it, you're going to pay a price down the road. And all three of us have paid in one way or another with our own battles. You're not going to get away with it. doesn't mean that we can't be delivered and forgiven and that God can't help us, but all you are doing is opening a door for an onslaught of other problems, and it's just not worth it. And for those who don't believe in Jesus and have not accepted him as their Savior, I would encourage you to do it because right now what you're doing, the world will never satisfy you. And if you were to die lost and you didn't know Jesus as your Savior, hell is real, and there's not one person on this earth that is worth a 30-minute romp in the sack to spend eternity apart from Christ in a place that they both, both God and Jesus describe as a, as a place of eternal torment. It's not worth it. So I would just encourage anyone who's at a place in their life where they just feel so low, they don't feel any joy, they don't feel like there's any hope, bring your baggage to the Lord. He will forgive you. He promises that. Give your life to Christ while you can, and you can go to our websites, and there's information where you can um, help lead you in how to do that. Amen. 
And I, I also just want to say, Shannon, thank you so much for sharing in such honest, vulnerable detail, because you beautifully illustrated what George and I were saying at the top of the show, and that is, it is easy for us as Christians to flip on the TV or see someone walking past us on the street and judge them because it's a man wearing a dress or, you know, someone's acting effeminate or, and, you know, we want to get our little two cents in. But if you sat down, any person that walks by you on the street that you want to make one of those little judgy comments, if instead of judging them, you took them like to a local Starbucks and sat them down for 30 minutes and said, just tell me your story, they would have a story similar to what Shannon just shared. They'd have a story similar to what George wrote about in his book. They would become humanized at that point. You would resonate with what they're saying because even though your life didn't end up in the same place as theirs, every step that they took to get where they're at, most of us have taken those steps as well. And I just want to speak for a brief moment about this phraseology that we have becoming a Christian, and Shannon has alluded a few times that, you know, Christians can't be demonized. Becoming a Christian is modern 21st evangelical talk. It's not the language of the Bible. The Bible talks about being in covenant with God, and that's a betrothal covenant. Uh, a lot of the language in Scripture, it is that Christ is our bridegroom, and we are the bride. And so, when you think about the faithfulness and the purity that is involved in a bridal covenant. Um, I'll just take you briefly to Psalm 91. Psalm 91 promises that we're going to have safety from all of these evil spirits that come after us and that no plague will come near our tent and we'll trample on the head of serpents. But the linchpin of that psalm, you know, people call this the soldier's prayer. This, this psalm is for everybody who's scared or in a frightening situation. No. Verse 9 says, because you have made Yahweh your dwelling place. So Psalm 91, all the promises of protection from evil spirits in Psalm 91, it's for people who have made Christ their dwelling place. That is Semitic language. The, the dwelling place is the chuppah. It is the wedding tent. And when you go into the chuppah, you go to the back chamber, the tambian chamber. That's where the, the marriage is consummated. And so until you've gone into the wedding chuppah and into the tambian chamber with Christ, and you've pledged the rest of your life to be faithful to him and to be pure and to, be, and to, to follow him, it doesn't matter if you're a self-proclaimed Christian, if you pray to prayer, if you attend a church, if you're on the elder board. Becoming a Christian offers nothing to you if you have not entered into that Tambian chamber and covenanted with the bridegroom. So you will not be safe from demonic attack if you haven't entered into that secret place. And as, as Shannon and George have both testified tonight, they were raised in the church by pastors. He who has an ear, let him hear. Again, I will say out I there, uh, you first, George. Go ahead. No, I just want to say real quickly, if only the church, if with what Vicky and what you've shared and what I've shared, if only we could have that same kind of dialogue and honesty in the church. So many people are carrying huge burdens. And it's just sad that most people carry them and they can't walk into the one place where they should be able to say, I'm hurting. This is what I'm struggling with. 
I really need your prayers, but most won't because they fear the gossip hens and people destroying their lives or telling them you're not welcome here as if you were have to be perfect to walk into the church. God never told us that we had to be perfect to walk in. We don't have to be perfect to accept the salvation that is so freely given to everyone. God wants us to come with our baggage. He will do the work. He will do the cleanup. Give your life to Christ and let God handle the rest. It's just sad that the state of the church today is so judgmental versus looking at so many people who are broken and hurting. And instead of praying for them, we just choose to tear them down and talk about them. It's really sad. That's why I appreciate stories like yours, Shannon, and, and even Vicki, when we're all sharing real pain and hurt, but yet we still have that joy and that confidence in Christ. It's the most wonderful thing, and I just encourage anyone out there who's at a low point in their life, you have nothing to lose by giving your life to Christ. I think mm -hmm. uh, about the things I've done in my life, and I, I thought, you know what, it didn't have to happen. Um, if if I had had a normal household, if my parents were on fire for Jesus, if there hadn't been the broken home, there hadn't been the rejection, and then I want to blame them, then I realize that they're products of their environment. Each of them have their own stories. Going through similar things, that's the way the devil does, rolls. He wants these things just to continue down the family line. And it came to that point in 2005 when I cried out to the Lord. I said, God, I'm having trouble here. The Lord said, you and your brother Damon have a generational curse need to break. God revealed to me the antidote for the venom of sin that was coursing through our veins. And I had rededicated my life back to the Lord. I was reading my word. Uh, I was trying to go all in for Jesus, but I needed deliverance. And it was a missing piece that we never experienced growing up. And if just my father and mother had experienced it, and their parents had experienced it, we could have probably avoided all this stuff. But sadly, that wasn't the case. That's why we're sounding the alarm tonight. The church needs the full gospel. And that includes deliverance ministry out there. Jesus came to give life and life more abundantly. Whereas the devil comes yeah. to kill, steal, and destroy. And if you've been and had any contact with the occult, sexual sin, drugs and alcohol, you've been physically, verbally abused, sexually abused, you've been rejected, you know, there's a whole host of open doors that these demons can come through, then you probably need deliverance. Like I needed deliverance. Like just about everybody I have met needs some form of deliverance. No shame to say you need help. The only shame is to hang on to those demons when Jesus Christ came to set you and I free. And I think about the last 72 hours of Christ's life as I wind up. What was he doing? Well, we can see what he was doing because the Pharisees came up to him and said, Jesus, Herod is trying to find you to kill you. Jesus said, you go tell that guy. Today I cast out devils and do cures and tomorrow and the third day I shall be glorified. Paraphrased. He was casting out devils and he was healing the sick right up until his death. Mm -hmm. How much more so should do we need this in the church today? And we've got to get off this religious pride and realize that's the reason that we're in the shape we're in. We need deliverance as a church, and the truth will set us free. We need to get back to the Word of God and get out of compromise and sin because it you will pay a heavy price. I lost my family. I lost my children. I lost relationships. I lost money. I lost peace of mind, and I can tell you, even after I repented, it was a hard road back, 
but you can do it with Jesus. All things are possible. Yes. Through the Lord Amen. Jesus Christ. He's, he's an expert at putting Humpty Dumpty back together again that fell off the wall and burst into a million pieces. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, I'll be Amen. 53. I never thought I would have a family again. I never had a real family because I broke my family up just as mine was broken too for me. But God's uh, bit by bit restoring those things, and I praise God. And uh, there's still more work that he needs to do on me. But praise the Lord Jesus for his mercy and grace because had it not been for that, I would be destroyed tonight, likely in hell, with no excuse, thinking what a fool I was. I had the truth, and I let it slip through my hands. Don't be that person tonight. Uh, As we close tonight, if someone is tuning in, the Holy Spirit's convicted them that they need to surrender their life to Jesus. How can they do that tonight? Well, it's pretty easy, Shannon. It's just a prayer, and there's no formula. There's no written prayer. Anything you say out of the overflow of your own repentant heart is going to be received as a love letter to to the Father. So you just pray and you lay everything before him, all your anxieties, all your cares, all your sins. You tell him that you're sorry. First John uh, 1 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The hard work starts after there, but he will not reject anyone who comes to him and asks him to come into his heart. Praise the Lord. And I wanted to say if someone who wants more information on how to give their life to Christ, if they want to go to my website and scroll down to the bottom or near the bottom, uh, there is a section that says how to know Christ, and they'll find some information there if they just want to get some more information on how to do that. What is your website, George? It's George Carneal, C-A-R-N as in Nancy, E-A-L.com. And it's down near the bottom. It'll, it'll be a section that says how to know Christ. And there's a lot of resources there as well, especially if there are LGBT individuals struggling with the issue or parents who are at a loss as to how to help their children. And Vicki, your ad, uh, website address? It's VickiJoyAnderson.com. And that's Vicki with an I and Anderson is S-O-N. I count it a real honor to be with both of you, my friends, and what an awesome broadcast tonight. I hope we can do this again soon. God richly bless you, George and Vicki. Love you all. Thank you for coming on tonight. It was powerful. Thank you, Shannon. Thanks, Shannon. We'll see you next time. Bye, George. Bye. Bye, Grandpa. Bye, John Boy. (laughs) (laughs) See you next time. (laughs) Folks, let's get the Frenches on. Stand by. 